click drive time keeping you informed and inspired we love god we ought to be able to talk about him getting you started on your day with the latest in breaking news and information from the vatican to the white house and everything in between it's serious it's fun it's your catholic drive time with joe mcclain and emily alcaraz praise be to jesus christ Good morning and welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. It's so good to be on with you. God is so very good. Hope you're having a good morning so far, wherever you're going, whatever you're going to do today. We're going to be praying for your intentions. We'll have uh, more breaking news and headline stories coming up here in just a moment, plus Saint of the Day, Gospel of the Day. It's going to be a great hour. Uh, We have the team here. We'll have a What's Concerning Us section, several stories. In fact, we'll be speaking with Dorothy Cummings McClain from... uh, LifeSite News about two articles. Lockdowns in Scotland. You can't go to Mass anymore in Scotland at this point. I, I'm not sure if the UK and Wales follow suit. Dorothy will update us. Plus, there's a story uh, in the UK about the Polish government coming to the rescue of, uh, of one of their people in the UK who ha- or have uh, had their, their feeding tube and, and hydration removed from them. Again, another story there. So we'll Get the latest from Dorothy in the What's Concerning Us segment. And then later in the hour, Christine Niles from Church Militant will be on to give us the update on the election. Of course, it's the big day in Georgia. The uh, the recount or the, 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 the uh, election runoff is, is happening today there, plus the huge rallies in Washington, D.C., because tomorrow's the big day on on the U.S. Capitol Hill there. So a lot to do with the election today, as well as breaking stories on the life issues, all in this hour. And if at all possible, you're able to join us in the next hour, we would love to have you. Of course, we have our our fear and trembling game show. It's a trivia game show where prizes are involved. Super fun. And then, of course, again, if you're able to join us in that next hour, Kevin Wells will be our guest in the next segment. But uh, good morning, Emily Alcarez. <laughs> Morning, Joe. Happy Tuesday. We've got a lot to cover today. Happy Tuesday. Uh, that, that, that's a thing, huh? It is. And and actually, if you're Catholic, we have devotions <laughs> for Catholic. every day of the week. So today, Tuesdays are devoted to the guardian angels. Praise be to you. You know, I have to foster a better relationship with my guardian angel. I'm sure he's very disappointed in me. I'm sure he would enjoy your company. If you <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I say the guardian angel prayer one time a day. I should do more. I should definitely do more. Uh, speaking of doing more, Adrian Fonseca is here. Good morning, Adrian. <laughs> Good morning. How are you doing? Praise God, the guy who does more all the time. Uh, on the ones and twos, as I say. Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, my, my uh, garden angel always fa- like face palming every time he sees palming. me doing anything. That's right. <laughs> that is exactly right. That's what my guardian angel does do. It reminds me of Padre Pio and his guardian angel, whom he had a great relationship with, except for when... Uh, Padre Pio refused to look at him one time after the uh, the demons beat him, and he refused to come to his help. But that's another story. We have breaking news and sto- uh, headlines coming up. Let's begin with prayer first. Whatever your intentions are today, whatever your needs are materially, physically, spiritually, whatever is challenging you, whatever you have to accomplish in your day, I'm praying for that. I'm praying for all of your intentions, praying for my family, from our team here, our equipment, our show, and our radio apostolate. Uh, we're at the Guadalupe Radio network as well as the stations of the cross there in new york and massachusetts and philadelphia and beyond we're so grateful that you're part of the catholic drive time family let's begin by praying in the name of the father the son and the holy ghost amen remember O most gracious virgin mary that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection implored thy help or sought thine intercession was left unaided Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. 
O mother of the word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And now the headlines with Emily Alcaraz. Nancy Pelosi is attempting to ban gender terms in Congress. The House Speaker, along with the Rules Committee Chairman James McGovern, unveiled the rules for the 100th, 117th Congress on Friday, which contained future-focused proposals, including the elimination of gendered terms such as father, mother, son, and daughter. Within the proposals are the creation of the Select Committee on Economic Disparity and Fairness in Growth, which would require Congress to honor, quote, honor all gender identities by changing pronouns and familial relationships in the House rules to be gender neutral, end quote. Nancy Pelosi continues to describe herself with the gendered term grandmother in her Twitter profile. Two people were arrested in Canada after a neighbor called the police on their party. A viral video shows Canadian police raiding the New Year's gathering of six people. The police issued a statement on Twitter regarding the December 31st incident, claiming that the residents refused to cooperate and attacked one of the cops. In Gatineau, Quebec, indoor and outdoor private gatherings are currently prohibited until January 10th. All six people who were at the party were issued fines for violating the COVID-19 regulations. The fines will cost each person $1,546. The Polish government has intervened on behalf of one of its citizens in a vegetative state in the UK. After water and nutrition were withheld from the Polish patient on Christmas Eve, Poland's Minister of Foreign Affairs wrote an official letter to the UK's Foreign Secretary asking for urgent help and intervention in order to get food and water back to the patient so he would not starve and dehydrate to death. The patient, known only as RS, resumed nutrition and hydration on December 28th. He is able to breathe on his own. A UK judge rejected an application by the patient's family and the Republic of Poland that RS be airlifted back to Poland and be treated there. The judge decided that it is not in the patient's best interest to be kept alive through medical intervention. Over one million Trump supporters are meeting in D.C. this week to support election integrity. Both houses of Congress will convene on Wednesday to decide whether or not to certify the results of the Electoral College vote in December. Conservative groups had planned several rallies which have now merged into a larger event called the March to Save America. Dozens of Republican members of the next Congress, including Alabama Representative Mo Brooks, have committed to contesting the electoral votes of certain swing states. At least four of them are slated to speak at the march later today. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Tuesday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. St. John Nauman, pray for us, born on the 28th of March, 1811 in Bohemia, Uh, His father was German, his mother was Czech. Quiet boy, but very given to piety and to the religious life. He was one of, I think, uh, he was one of six kids. He had four sisters, a brother, and so, yeah, six kids. Um, now, he entered seminary at a young, as a young man, studied theology at Charles Ferdinand University in Prague in 1833. But when it was time for his ordination, the bishop got sick. 
and then never rescheduled the ordination mass. So he was sort of left hanging. Turns out they just had too many priests. Yeah, I can't relate to that either. But uh, he was frustrated by this, and he eventually just felt called to becoming, uh, that God was calling him to the priesthood. So he had to walk to France, and then he took a boat uh, all the way to America. He shows up completely unannounced in 1836 in Manhattan in New York uh, and uh, on the doorstep of Bishop John Dubois, who was very happy to receive him, in fact, uh, because uh, the bishop in New York had only 36 priests to care for 200,000 Catholics in both New York and in New Jersey. I'm not talking about just the city, but the entire states. So there was a lot to do, not enough hands uh, to, to do it. And so he was happy to ordain John on 28 June 1836. Now he was sent to Buffalo and he was given a choice. Uh, Father John could either take the city life or the town life, or he could take the more country and rural life, which he chose that instead. He, he moved into a church that was not yet finished in construction. And once he did finish the construction, he moved again to uh, a, a log church, and then he built himself a log home. He rarely lit fires. He didn't eat much but bread and water. He slept very little, and he would walk miles, miles and miles and miles all the time, visiting farm after farm. Now, it was great that Father John could speak 12 languages because because uh, the people in this part of our country, you know, were very diverse from many different parts of mostly Europe at the time. So he was able to to minister to these people, to care for them, to provide for them uh, the sacraments. In 1840, he joined the Redemptorists in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, being among the first in the United States to do so. His home missioner was in Maryland, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Virginia. He eventually became the rector of St. Philomena Church in Pittsburgh in 1844. He would go on to become the vice regent and superior of the Redemptorists in America in 1847. And then in 1852, he was named Bishop of Philadelphia. He would build 50 churches. He would open more than 100 schools. He would he would increase the student population in his diocese from 500 to 9,000. He wrote many articles, two catechisms, and many works in German. He was the first American man and first American bishop to be canonized uh, by Pope Paul VI, June 19, 1977. St. John Nauman, pray for us. And the gospel comes to you from Mark chapter 6, verses 34 through 44. When Jesus saw the vast crowd, his heart was moved with pity for them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. By now it was already late, and his disciples approached him and said, This is a deserted place, and it is already very late. Dismiss them so that they can go to the surrounding farms and villages and buy themselves something to eat. He said to them in reply, Give them some food yourselves. But they said to him, Are we to buy two hundred days' wages worth of food and give it to them to eat? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five loaves and two fish. So he gave orders to them to sit down in groups on the green grass. The people took their places in rows by hundreds and by fifties. Then, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he said the blessing broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. 
He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up twelve wicker baskets full of, garm uh, full of fragments and what was left of the fish. Those who ate of the loaves were five thousand men. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there's, I, what I love here in this particular passage is the nod to Elisha back in 2 Kings. I think it's chapter 4. You know, the fragments that are left over. And so you see this Old Testament reference there. It's the manna in the wilderness also comes to mind. Uh, they're here in the wilderness. You know, let's dismiss them so that they can go into the local villages. So you see these Old Testament references that are pointing to something greater. And yet this verse also points to something greater still. Uh, it's fascinating because you see the take, the blessed, the broke, the gave. That same formula is used in four, the 14th chapter of Mark's gospel in the Last Supper, where our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ consecrates these 12 men to become priests of the New Testament, to take this new bread, this new manna come down from heaven, the flesh of Jesus Christ, his body, blood, soul, and divinity, and to feed it to the people, which is another interesting point, is that you can't go straight to Christ. You have to go to his disciples. And this is the intent and the design of Jesus himself, to place these 12 men, like Moses did in Exodus 24 with the 12 men on 12 pillars offering 12 sacrifices and the blood was sprinkled on the altar and on the people. We're seeing the same thing here in Matthew and Mark chapter 6 and this, uh, this foreshadowing of something greater to come and that greater thing is the Holy Eucharist, the sacrament that was given to us to be life, the food for us on our journey towards heaven. Adrian, what say you? Yeah, so I think uh, one of the things that I wanted to point out, because I was actually searching for this answer, I was like, why is it that it was five loaves and two fishes? Ah. Why two fishes? And I looked it up, and uh, according to Thomas, Thomas says that the two fish uh, represent the uh, the fact that the fishermen, uh, there are two uh, testimonies, the gospel and the epistles. And so the, those are the, the food which is given to the people, which are the gospels and the epistles. And then the five loaves uh, symbolize the uh, five books of Moses mm. in the Old Testament. And so we see the old and the new uh, being presented as food because man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, praise be to Jesus. Uh, a couple of minutes before we go, uh, or actually about a minute and a half before we go to our break, and then we're going to come back with a uh, segment called What's Concerning Us, uh, where we talk about some of the stories that uh, are really troubling us. And uh, Dorothy cummins McLean from LifeSide News is going to be our guest in that segment, talking about the lockdowns in the UK, and then the story of the Polish government interceding on behalf of a person who needs basic necessities, food and water. All that coming up, plus our guests, I mean, with Christine Niles from Church Militant, all in this hour. Don't go anywhere. Have a drive time. We'll be right back. Among the many arguments relativists give to prove their worldview, one is that moral beliefs change. For example, they might say, we used to believe slavery was okay, but now we don't. If there were moral absolutes, well, then moral beliefs wouldn't change. How do we respond? Well, we can ask the relativists if we've morally progressed in changing our country's slavery laws. Assuming they say yes, we can point out the fact that progress implies an objective moral standard that our society better conforms to today than it did 150 plus years ago. But if there's an objective moral standard that we've progressed toward, well then morality is not relative. 
So the relativist either has to give up on the idea that we've progressed morally in order to keep relativism, or reject relativism to keep the idea of moral progress. I'm Corlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, catholic.com. Looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium? Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the University of Dallas offers an exceptional liberal arts education, preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. Be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. By the way, if you can hang out with us on the live video stream, we would love to see you there. Uh, you can find us on many places. For instance, facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Great place to go. And then, of course, we're also on YouTube. You can find us there just by searching for youtube.com forward slash GRN online. But we also post to Twitter, we post to Instagram, and I post to Parlor as well. So lots of ways to stay plugged into the Catholic Drive Time. But joining us right now for our What's Concerning Us section all the way from Scotland is uh, Dorothy Cummins McLean from LifeSite News. Good morning to you, Dorothy. Good morning, Joe. Uh, a couple of stories that you've posted this week that uh, were very concerning to us. Yesterday, let's start with this. Uh, yesterday, Scotland bans public worship for the second time during the COVID-19 crisis. Now, uh, what's the latest there? Um, did the did the UK, did uh, England and Wales also follow suit, or is it just in Scotland? No, it's just in Scotland. So uh, health matters are a devolved issue in Scotland. It means that Scottish Parliament, not the, you know, the not Parliament in Westminster in London, uh, decides matters of health for Scotland. Um, so Scotland, uh, or that is to say the First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, announced yesterday, it was quite a surprise uh, uh, to everyone, I think, um, I asked, uh, I asked, I, I called up, well, no, I didn't. I emailed one of the archdioceses to ask uh, what was going on, and it seemed to have come as a surprise to the, the press officer. It certainly came as a surprise to me uh, that the First Minister had decided, or, and her team, I suppose, had decided to shut down public worship in Scotland without giving us any evidence whatsoever that the extremely restricted worship we had been participating in uh, was at all responsible for an uptick in the virus or an uptick in the virus? Um, we to 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 explain what has been going on in Scotland, you have to know that uh, the entire country is plunged in what's being called Tier Four, mm. uh, or most of the country, I should say. I think maybe the the very the remote Highlands, I think, were spared uh, Tier Four. But essentially, uh, people in Scotland were uh, have. Well, we had it. We had a day off for Christmas Day. We were allowed to visit uh, another household for Christmas Day. Uh, very gracious but, uh, of them. We yes, yes, I know. Uh, very uh, man, uh, man, wonderful. But uh, essentially, uh, the next day we were all plunged into Tier Four for Boxing Day, and one of the uh, restrictions uh, uh, attached to Tier Four is that only twenty people were allowed to attend uh, public worship. So we uh, per, per service. So we went from having 40 people all socially distanced in a, a antiseptic church uh, on uh, Christmas Day to being 20 people 
uh, in, wow. again, a large antiseptic churches. Um, it, it's really kind of astonishing. I, I, I don't know if the First Minister has ever actually been to a Roman Catholic Mass or indeed <laughs> a traditional Latin Mass where everyone is facing in the same direction. You know, um, it, 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 it just follows my mind. I, I don't I don't understand. I don't know if they even know what goes on in a Catholic service or if they have any idea to what extent uh, people have been slavishly following mm. protocols. Why? Uh, but, so is the COVID more impacting more uh, people in Scotland versus England or Wales? Is there a particular reason why Scotland is locked down, but you can still go to mass in, in England or Wales? Well, well, um no. Uh, in fact, the perception in Scotland is that the the uh, numbers of people testing positive for COVID are higher in England. <laughs> um, it, it it rather depends on whose study you're reading, what website you're reading, and whose narrative you're following. So in the United Kingdom, uh, there is a, 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 let's call it a media resistance to uh, the government narratives of ever-climbing, ever-more-dangerous uh, coronavirus uh, epidemic in, in the UK. Uh, there is a website called COVID Skeptic. And the COVID Skeptic uh, blog, uh, which, which involves uh, um, a well-known uh, legacy journalist, Toby Young, um, he's in charge of it. Uh, they, 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 they uh, well, what do they do? They, they publish... Uh, the uh, findings and thoughts of uh, scientists and doctors in the United Kingdom who mm. don't agree with the government narrative. Um, they round up uh, newspaper articles and opinion that also disagree with the government narrative. So there, there is, um, shall we say, an alternative view uh, that people can, can have access to in the United Kingdom. And I, I think it's very useful, in part because people seem so utterly terrified. Um, it, it's very unfortunate that Scottish Catholics um, online, and when you when you read uh, message boards online on Facebook of Scottish Catholics, the terror, the utter terror of of uh, Catholics, for example, on the west coast near Glasgow, um, that going to mass even under these incredibly limited circumstances, twenty people in a church, but they they seriously believe the government, uh, and they seriously believe that it is possible that people will get sick from going to Mass in these, in, in these very wow. uh, clean, safe, now, Dor- careful circumstances. Dorothy, uh, how do these restrictions on places of worship compare to restrictions on other locations, such as restaurants, grocery stores, department stores, that kind of thing? Is it similar? Are they shut down? Um. That, now that's an interesting question. I'll have to think exactly because it changes all the time. That's part of the, the suffering is the confusion of the rules changing back and forth. But I believe currently, I believe restaurants are shut. The, the department stores are open. Um, anything that sells food uh, is open to an extent. Um, so uh, many restaurants are surviving by becoming takeaway and delivery only. Um, but... Uh, uh, my own, my own. Uh, I'm rather restricted in, in what I do, so uh, I can tell you that uh, my large supermarket in town um, is uh, has many more people in it than my church. Right. <laughs> 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 
and people's movements are no longer controlled. People aren't just walking in straight lines, carefully socially distanced as they were when we were utterly terrified in March. I think people have relaxed very much, but I don't think the supermarkets are as safe as the churches. No, absolutely not. How are the people responding to this? Um, how are the faithful responding to the to the, the the not being able to go to Holy Mass? I mean, I remember when that happened here back in the spring of 2020, and I was I was really depressed over that. How are the Scottish people re- responding? Well, um, to, Scotland is, is not a particularly religious society uh, anymore. Um, Catholics comprise fifteen uh, percent of the country, so that's about we probably are about uh, seven hundred and fifty thousand people uh, mm. Catholics in Scotland. Um, although I believe we are probably the largest group in terms of going to regular Sunday uh, worship service. So if that's twenty percent of us, then maybe about one hundred and fifty thousand people go to go to Sunday mass. So we aren't ta- talking very large numbers except in terms of, of, of numbers of people in total who go to church. So I would say that uh, people of a very, people who are very, well, I would say people who are traditional old, old-time style Catholics are very upset about this, indeed. Uh, and they are looking for alternatives, for example, attending SSPX uh, churches. Okay. Um, however, um, uh, other Catholics are perfectly happy to sit at home and watch Mass on television. Mm. And uh, the question is, how many of those people will return to Mass uh, when, uh, yeah. Yeah, that took a big, huge hit uh, in America. Well, many people did not return to Holy Mass uh, once the doors started opening up again. So it's been a major problem in the Catholic faith in the West, for sure. Let's, uh, we have about uh, four, two, three and a half minutes, four minutes left in our conversation. Dorothy cummins McLean from LifeSite News. Uh, there's another story that you reported on, and that is the Polish government uh, interceding on behalf of one of their citizens that needed, uh, you know, water and some basic nutrition to, to live off of. Can you give us the story there? Okay, so... Essentially, um, a Polish man uh, whose name can't be uh, publicized, but a, a published man known as R.S. Uh, had a heart attack in early November and stopped breathing for about 45 minutes and therefore incurred brain damage. Uh, he was in a coma in a hospital in England um, and eventually, well, not eventually, but in a few weeks, uh, doctors uh, approached his wife and suggested that uh, his life support be turned off. Um, she was willing to, to do this. Uh, however, his mother and sister in Poland and his sister and uh, niece in England uh, disagreed with this, saying that he is a, a, a man who of, of um, sincere and conservative Roman Catholic convictions who was opposed to the uh, judicial ending of the life of Alfie Evans. Uh, so they're arguing that because, and he can breathe on his own, incidentally. So they're arguing that he's not as sick as they're saying. Um, he can breathe on his own. He should be given food and water. Uh, he has a right to his life, uh, as, as circumscribed as it may be. Uh, and, uh, they, essentially they don't want him to die. They offered, the Polish government offered to take him back to Poland. Uh, but the court said no. Why is the UK so opposed to things like uh, basic water and nutrition? Why has it become such an issue these last, I don't know, decade or so? We're seeing more more well, stories of, of this nature. 
I, I think the, there are, are certain stories that catch the public imagination. Other stories don't. I think this happens uh, an awful lot more than, than we know about. Uh, what really caught my mind, uh, what caught my eye in this situation was that the man is a Roman Catholic who, uh, whose uh, family or whose birth family says that he's pro-life, uh, anti-euthanasia, anti-abortion. In fact, his wife would agree with that also. Uh, and and uh, he even he even has apparently a voice and opinion about the Alfie Evans case. So the fact that the it's being decided that this is non-conclusive and that the man's life should should end or that he has the right to die in this situation in which he has never uh, or as far as his first family is concerned he has never voiced such an opinion suggests that the state, not this Roman Catholic, is deciding his fate. We're, we've been talking with Dorothy Cummins McLean. We're posting links to both of the stories, the Scottish lockdown plus the story uh, from LifeSite News that she posted earlier this week on uh, on our video feed over at Facebook.com forward slash CDT. Of course, you can get to LifeSite News and uh, and get to the articles there as well. Uh, we have about a minute left, Dorothy, with you before we have to go to break. Uh, Christine Niles is coming up next uh, after the break, but. What do you see at, with just about a minute left to go, Dorothy? Do you think there's these lockdowns are going to spark even more protests and outrage among the people? I'm not. I I, it, I think it's going to depend on what country and what area and what age group you're talking about. I'm I'm really not sure. I I think at the moment Scottish Catholics are stunned and we don't know what to do or what we're going to do next and uh, from what i've seen online we're just arguing amongst ourselves about whether or not the government has made the right decision and whether or not i hate to break it up but we're out of time dorothy thank you for your generosity being on with us and updating us on the stories again we're linking to both of them we'll love to have you back soon to give us an update god bless you uh, dorothy cummins mcclain don't go anywhere christine niles plus more breaking news and stories coming up after the break here on catholic drive time we'll be right back This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed that most modern philosophies are very dark and depressing? As G.K. Chesterton says, most people in our world today have been forced to be happy about the little things, but sad about the big ones. But that's not the way we were meant to be. We were meant to be joyful. Sadness is only an interlude. Praise should be the permanent pulsation of the soul. The Christian is able to deny himself immediate pleasures because there's great joy and fulfillment inside him. The pagan must constantly seek after pleasure because there's great sadness and emptiness inside him. Joy, which is the small publicity of the pagan, is the gigantic secret of the Christian. Let's share the secret. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. Have you ever wanted to study the Summa Theologica by St. Thomas Aquinas, but saw the size of it and felt really intimidated? Same here. That's why I agreed to be Dave Palmer's radio student on our new show, Back to the Father, beginning Friday, January 8th at 2 p.m. Central. We're going to dive into the Summa in a lighthearted and fun and very interactive way. Never heard of the Summa? No problem. Mark your calendars for January 8th to tune in for the debut of Back to the Father and get ready to learn from the angelic doctor, St. Thomas Aquinas. 
Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. So good to be on with you. My name is Joe McLean. I'm your host. And uh, we're going to have a great conversation with Christine Niles from Church Militant coming up in about four minutes from now. We're going to be talking about the election fraud situation. Of course, it's the big day in Georgia. Tomorrow is the big day in D.C. and the, the huge rallies that are already forming there. It's pretty uh, pretty big. So we'll get the lowdown on all of that. And uh, I think there was a breaking story of uh, they, they did some data analysis. For over 400,000 votes were deleted from Trump in Pennsylvania, according to the analysis. So there's a lot of shenanigans going on. Christine will give us the lowdown here in just a few minutes. First, we have breaking news and stories with Emily Alcarez. A Democrat is being criticized for concluding his opening prayer for the 117th Congress with the phrase, a men and a women on Sunday. Representative Emanuel Cleaver, who is also a Methodist pastor, prayed to the God known by many names and faiths before concluding, a men and a women, appearing to ascribe gender to the traditional Judeo-Christian conclusion to prayer. The word amen is derived from Hebrew and means truly or so be it and has nothing to do with gender. This comes after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi eliminated the use of all gendered language in Congress. In America, it appears that COVID vaccines are not being produced or distributed fast enough. The U.S. government is considering giving some people half the dose of Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine in order to speed vaccinations, a federal official said on Sunday. The head of Operation Warp Speed, the federal vaccine program, said on CBS that giving half the dose, or just the first vaccine, induces an identical immune response to the full dose. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said it had administered over 4 million first doses of COVID-19 vaccines in the country as of Saturday morning. Vaccinations have fallen far short of early targets, as officials had hoped to have 20 million people vaccinated by the end of 2020. Yet another lockdown is shutting down the United Kingdom. Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced on Monday that the new lockdown for England will last until at least mid-February in order to combat a fast-spreading new variant of the coronavirus. Britain has ramped up its vaccination program by becoming the first nation to start using the shot developed by Oxford University and drug maker AstraZeneca. Scotland has also banned all public worship for the second time during the COVID-19 crisis. The top Swiss bishop has said that he can very well imagine women standing at the altar. Bishop Felix Gamour, head of Switzerland's Conference of Bishops, said in an interview, quote, Yes, I can very well imagine women standing at the altar. Women are already active in all church functions in which one does not have to be a priest, end quote. LifeSite News reported last July that women in the Diocese of Basel, Switzerland, are putting on vestments, standing at the altar, and praying the offertory, the preface, and the concluding prayers. Following the example of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was a man and who only ordained men to the priesthood, the Catholic Church has always reserved the priesthood for males. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Tuesday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Wow, I think I just got nauseous listening to the last story, Emily. Thanks, Sorry, for, uh, Joe. thanks for sharing that. Uh, well, anyway, thank you, Emily, for reading the news, the breaking news. <laughs> I gotta do it. <laughs> no matter how depressing it can sometimes be. Uh, before we jump into our conversation with Christine Niles from Church Militant about uh, the voter situation, electoral situation, I want to remind you, if you're looking for the podcast version of Catholic Drive Time, great place to do that is at grnonline.com. 
com forward slash CDT. We also are posting videos of individual conversations and, uh, and highlights over on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash GRN online. Plus, uh, we're posting links to articles and everything we're talking about on our live video feed on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. With that, let's jump into our conversation with Christine Niles uh, from Church Militant. Joining us by Zoom, Christine, I need you to unmute your Zoom chat with us, but it's so good to have you on again. We had you on uh, on our very first episode of Catholic Drive Time, so it's nice to have you back as a pro here. Uh, Adrian, if you could unmute her, that would be wonderful. But uh, Christine Niles has been reporting on the election situation uh, over the past several weeks, and of course, today is the big day in Georgia. All eyes are on Georgia. Are they going to take the Senate? Uh, are, are they going to have control? A supermajority? We don't know. We're about to find out. But Christine is here. And good morning to you. Good morning. Can you hear me? Praise Am God. I, I can hear you. Yeah. Oh, good. And you can see me. Okay, yes. Great. God is very good. We can uh, we can hear and see you. And we're very excited. So, uh, Christine, what is the latest in the situation? You know, I have been watching carefully all the reports but between lawsuits and, and voter shenanigans and, and counting and on all this stuff, the average person just gets lost in a sea of who knows what. So where are we at, actually? Well, today and tomorrow are the very big days that essentially determine the future of our country. Today, of course, uh, the Senate runoffs in Georgia. And that's the reason this is so important is because. Whether or not we win or lose the two seats today in the Senate determines whether or not the Democrats entirely control all of Congress. As we know, we all, they already control the House. Mm. Republicans have controlled the Senate in the past. We want to retain their control. If, de- if, if the Democrats win today, they retain complete control of everything. And that means they have already promised they're going to pass radical legislation to pack the Supreme Court which would essentially mean, you know, it was a great victory when Amy Coney Barrett was confirmed because we now have a pretty reliable five, you know, five to four conservative majority. Yeah. But all they have to do is add 10 more liberals and then that's lights out pretty much forever for the Supreme Court. I mean, that's it's over. So we will not be able to get justice in the courts, in the Supreme Court. Um, Also, they want to, you know, end the filibuster. They want to... and all sorts of like the supermajority vote required for various kinds of votes to come through so that they can just breeze through all the radical legislation they want. It'll essentially be a one party system for the rest of living U.S. history. <laughs> this is why today is so important, retaining control of the Senate, because at least the Republicans we retain control. It will block, you know, some of the measures, the radical legislation. And it's very scary when you look at all you have to do is go to Biden's website and all the legislation he is already planning on. For instance, he wants to decriminalize the deliberate transmission of HIV and AIDS because according to his office, that's discriminatory. The uh, deliberate transmission. <laughs> We're talking about the deliberate transmission. Correct. Deliberate. That's crazy. Um, because right now that's criminalized. Understandably, you can't go around not letting people know you're HIV infected and infect other people because it kills them and makes them sick. Mm. But he said that's discriminatory against gays. So I'm going to lift that legislation. I'm going to expand radically LGBT rights, of course, meaning persecution of Christians, persecution of any conservatives who believe in the family. Um, anyway, so today is a very important day. I don't know when we'll, we'll, we'll you know, the, know the outcome of um, today, whether Purdue, the Republicans left learn Purdue will win. But a lot of us are skeptical because, 
we already know fraud took place in Georgia. Georgia is one of those, you know, uh, contested states. They've offered us no guarantees that fraud won't also take place this time around. Two million absentee ballots have Mm. already been cast in Georgia. And those are the problem ballots, the absentee ballots. They're so easily easy to manipulate. They've offered us no assurances that there's not going to be fraud today like there was back in November. So it's it's a kind of a scary time. We need to pray as Catholics. We really need to pray. Um, as far as tomorrow, January 6th, that's another extremely important day because that's the day when Vice President Pence comes, presides as Senate president, and he opens up all the ballots alphabetically state by state and counts them either for Biden or for Trump. As we know, there are seven states where the ballots were contested. They sent a dueling slate of electors for Trump. Um, and the question is, What's going to happen once Pence gets to those contested states? He's going to have two slates of electors. Which one does he choose? Well, there's a process for that. I won't go into the entire process, but uh, we have a number of House members and a number of senators who have already committed to objecting to those uh, contested ballots for Biden. And, um, you know, the question is, are there enough courageous GOP members in both the Senate and the House to fight this and see this all the way through and ensure that these contested states don't actually, you know, go to Biden. So that's the big question. I'm just waiting to see what happens tomorrow in Congress. We're talking with Christine Niles from Church Militant about the uh, election situation. (laughs) You know, I know this is not uh, the first time this has happened, of course. We've had in our history in our country, I think it was, was it the 1870, was it 7 or 73, 76? So there's history here, but within our lifetimes, nothing has quite gotten to this level of insanity. And you're like, well, there's a day that's fast approaching where there's no choice. The president must be seated according to the Constitution of the United States. How is all of it? Is there enough time to sort all this out? Uh, we're going to go to a break, but I just, I'm curious, Christine, before we go, I mean, you saw this new report for over 432,000 votes that were deleted from Trump in Pennsylvania, according to the data, not according to political pundits, but according to data analysts. So clearly there was something going on in this election. What are we supposed to do with that? Well, that's a very important uh, report that you brought up. This is from a group of data scientists who are experts, right? You said not political pundits. And they looked at the, you know, the sort of the timeline over the night of November 3rd into the 4th. And they realized, wow, 432,000 votes were taken away from Trump. That makes no sense. Because obviously over the course of the night, you'd expect more ballots to be tallied for him and more to be tallied for Biden. You just expect them to come up like this. Instead, they were going like this for Biden and then just kind of generally declining over the course of hours for Trump. All right, hold that. Hold that, Christine. We're going to go to a break. We're going to be right back. We're going to continue our conversation with Christine Niles from Church Militant on the election update. Uh, And we'll get more into that on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. More Catholic Drive Time keeping you informed and inspired is coming up in just a few moments. Father John Bartunik, in his book, The Better Part, wrote, 
Gratitude is one of the most beautiful flowers in the whole garden of virtues. It directly contradicts self-centeredness, self-indulgence, and self-absorption. It builds bridges, unites communities, and softens hearts. It encourages and inspires. It cuts through discouragement and counteracts depression. It opens the soul to the truth and releases anxiety. It brings smiles and gladness wherever it blooms. What a pity that it is as rare as it is lovely. When was the last time you were truly grateful to our Lord for the spouse He has given to you? When was the last time that you told your spouse you are very grateful for him or her? Gratitude goes a long way in healing wounds. Give it a try. Go home today and tell your spouse how grateful to God you are that he or she married you. This has been a minute for your marriage and family from the Three Hearts Institute. You can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We all know children have a natural innocence and a sense of wonder. Yet our world is full of distractions that can pull families in the wrong direction. But with the help of God and a church family, your children can grow in the security of faith, hope, and love. Weekly Mass provides that critical faith foundation needed in life. So if your family hasn't been to Mass in a while, we'd like to invite you home. Discover more at catholicscomehome.org. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. We're talking with Christine Niles from Church Militant about the election situation. <laughs> you know, Christine, welcome back to the program. But again, I can't emphasize enough. But as as a knuckle dragger, I don't want to be an expert in anything for the most part. You know, but these these are precarious days. You have to know that the, the Catechism of the Council of Trent for crying out loud. I'm still trying to figure out how to pay the mortgage, right? You know, so it's like we have to un- become election experts. We have to understand the nuances of of uh, procedures on Capitol Hill. It just feels overwhelming to the average person. And I imagine there's many people who are just doubting that there's any real issues out there at all. This is all just political maneuvering. What say you, Christine Niles? Um, the only reason they might be thinking that is they're they're watching too much mainstream media. I mean, CNN, MSNBC, all these all these channels are dismissing all of this as you know it, it's fakery and it's a conspiracy theory, et cetera. It is not. You have to look at the data. There, there's overwhelming evidence. It's in fact, you know. So so get off MSM. You know, get get off mainstream media and actually look at the data. There have been lawsuits filed all over the country. If you actually read through the lawsuits. We have the signed affidavits. There have been thousands of sworn affidavits. These are signed under penalty of perjury. You know, it's actually, it could be, they could go to jail, you know, for, you know, signing on as witnesses to election fraud. Because mm-hmm. that's a federal felony when you commit election fraud. Um, but there is massive amounts of evidence, and not just in one state, but in multiple states. Um, you know, statistically impossible vote dumps for Biden. Because I was, you know, obviously I, I did the election coverage live um, on church building. We do that, you know, every four years and we do that during the midterms as well. So we were up all night and we remember Trump was winning, 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 for instance, in Pennsylvania by 800,000 votes. And then suddenly they stopped counting at 11 PM, five swing States just suddenly stopped counting right around 11 PM, just stopped. And then several hours later, you know, I woke up and I thought, well, Biden is ahead. I mean, how did he overcome an 800,000 vote deficit? and then come out ahead within a few hours. And then people started, data scientists started looking at the, you know, the numbers, and they saw this statistically impossible spike in the middle of the night. 
that was in um, Pennsylvania, it was in Michigan, it was in Wisconsin. Um, and what's, first of all, it's extremely frustrating that the dishonest media is refusing to cover this or they're just dismissing it. Um, but it's also very frustrating that the courts don't seem to be doing their job. You know, and I'm an attorney, I've worked for federal judges, I've worked for state court judges, I worked for the, my, the Indiana State Supreme Court Justice, so I know how all this works. Mm. And um, you expect your judges to be politically unbiased and impartial and simply look at the facts. But it seems in many of these cases, you know, the, the, the political ramifications, it's just too much of a hot potato, and they just punt it along by making procedural objections like a lack of timeliness, lack of standing, you know, it, it, too many judges are doing this and it's very frustrating. So I think it's causing a lot of conservatives to lose, to feel disheartened about our system. You, know, you can't trust the government to do the right thing because of all this election fraud and they're not really looking into this. But then also at the same time, can you trust the courts to do the right thing? Mm. So we, we really need to pray. I don't want to scare Catholics. You know, we're, we should continue to pray for some sort of miracle to happen tomorrow and maybe January 20th, because God is, of course, in the business of you know, making miracles. But at the same time, I think as Catholics, we do need to prepare for a possible Biden presidency. We need to hunker down mm -hmm. because, um, as we know, Biden is not really the one who's going to be in control. It's going to be his handlers. And one of those handlers is Kamala Harris. And this is a woman with a deeply anti-Catholic background. She was the AG in California. She, um, among some of her offenses, um, she did a political prosecution of David Daleiden. As we know, he's a pro-life hero, pro-life investigative journalist who exposed the aborted baby body parts trafficking, you know, that Planned Parenthood took part in and profited to the tune of billions of dollars. He exposed all of that. And she had a closed-door meeting with Planned Parenthood, one of her wealthiest donors in California, that a closed-door meeting, and when she emerged from that meeting, as a favor to Planned Parenthood, she raided Daleiden's home and seized all of his materials as part of a political prosecution. You can't do that. Yeah, I remember. As in, yeah. So with her in power, kind of, you know, pulling the strings, we as Catholics need to prepare. We need to hunker down. We need to pray. We need to prepare. Yeah. Amen. So, Christine, one of the problems that this has revealed is the deep division in the Republican Party. So the the Republicans now are divided between those who, you know, we have 11 senators who are not certifying the election results. And then we have many Republicans who are saying there's no voter fraud at all and just completely denying it. So what what do you see as the future of the Republican Party after this? Do you think this division will become irreparable? That's a very good question. I think one of the things that the Trump presidency highlighted is this rift in the GOP. You know, his phrase, drain the swamp. He wasn't just talking about the Democrats there. I mean, he was talking about establishment Republicans who are accustomed to the status quo, who don't really have the interests of the people at heart. They just kind of want to keep the machine going in Washington, D.C. He was very much an outsider coming in, which is one of the reasons why establishment Republicans, swamp Republicans, people like Mitt Romney, who are kind of more moderate um, that's why they hated him so much, because he wasn't part of the whole establishment. He came in, he shook things up, he tried to clean things out, clean out the corruption, all sorts of stuff, and they resisted. And now they see their opportunity to finally get rid of him. They've been trying for years to get rid of him. Um, I think a lot of them sort of put on this false front during his presidency to make it make it look unified, the party, but now that he's kind of on his way out, in their opinion, um, they, they've just taken off the mask and they've made made clear we hate his populist message. We don't like it. We want 
to go back to business as usual establishment, Republicans working with the Democrats, et cetera. Um, and I absolutely see the rift getting worse and worse. I mean, I've already seen people saying the GOP is dead. You know, we want a new party. There was a recent poll by Rasmussen that showed that 72% of Republicans, 72%, that's three quarters of Republicans, want a president in the mold of Donald Trump. Mm. Not necessarily him because they think he's getting a bit old. He's in his 70s, but they want someone in his mold, meaning they reject the swamp. They reject the establishment Republicans. You know, they want someone like him, an outsider who would come in and try to clean out the corruption. You know, and so... Yeah, that's a good question. I absolutely think that rift is getting worse and worse. Yeah, Christine, in that same vein, um, I was thinking about the I've heard a lot of uh, of conservative pundits talking about how this whole um, thing with Ted Cruz and everyone trying to re- reject the Electoral College votes um, is simply a pandering to the, the new Republican Party and to say, like, just they're setting themselves up to run for election uh, the next four years. And what do you think that there is a, there's a reason for this or is this just completely just a Hail Mary and or just uh, showing off or just trying to get votes for the future? That's a good question. I. Um, my thoughts on that are Senator Ted Cruz, to me, seems to have a pretty good track record. He seems like a, a pretty honest guy with integrity. I think so just to get back on the audience out there, he and 10 other senators issued a statement saying that they plan to object tomorrow to contested electoral ballots unless they, Congress establishes a uh, commission to audit, you know, to investigate and audit possibly fraudulent ballots in contested states. Um, and so that was sort of the compromise. They said, we're going to object unless you do this. And people are skeptical saying, well, what do you think this commission is really going to accomplish? We've already tried to, you know, investigate election fraud and, uh, you know, um, it's not going to go anywhere. So that's why people are criticizing Cruz. I think, honestly, he had to do this in order to get so many other senators on board with him. I think that part of the political calculation is if I do this, maybe I can get more senators on board. And um, I, I'm trying to give Senator Cruz the benefit of the doubt. He's had a pretty good track record in the past. So I think maybe the effort is sincere on his part. He does want people to object. He does believe that there's election fraud. And that he does really want to establish a commission to investigate the fraud. So at this point, maybe I'm naive. I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. So there's going to be about 10, you know, they want a 10 day audit is really what they want to be able to verify uh, one way or the other. Finally, the count we saw when uh, the Dominion machines were analyzed, there were some issues. Of course, this new data uh, study that came out of Pennsylvania, not political pundits, but data analysts said, 432,000 errors, 432,000 errors unexplained. They just want an explanation, and that's been uh, ignored. That request has been ignored. So there's lots of issues. The question is, can they possibly do an audit in 10 days that will give a definitive answer? Because this is a very divisive issue, especially among Catholics. There are Catholics who believe there's absolutely nothing going on. Trump is stealing everything. And then there's Catholics opposite of that. So can the 10 days actually prove anything one way or the other? Christine Niles. I think if the audit is honest, if it's honest, that's the big question. If it is honest and really looks into all the fraud, then yes, I think it would make a big difference. The question is, who's going to make up the commission? Will these be people who will honestly look into all of this and consider the evidence, or will they simply come in with this preconceived bias that none of this exists and I'm not really going to consider the evidence? 
That's been the problem with the courts. I don't think there's been a single court case. There have been dozens of lawsuits filed all over the place. I don't think there's a single court that has offered an evidentiary hearing of the evidence. It's all just, oh, we dismissed this out of hand, lack of standing, lack of... That's the problem. Who Will they honestly look at this? If they honestly do, yeah, I do think it would make a difference. That's the question. Will they be honest? Last question. Or I uh, have about just under two minutes left with Christine Niles from Church Militant. Um, let's just say they get the 10-day audit. Okay, let's say that that happens. And the results come back that there isn't massive voter fraud. There is not massive voter fraud. Do you think at that point the Trump administration will concede? Well, here's the thing. There doesn't have to necessarily be massive voter fraud. What there needs to be is sufficient fraud in contested swing states to have affected the outcome of the election. And um, I think that there's definitely that. I mean, I honestly think if the audit comes back and says, oh, no, there's nothing, then I'm going to question. I think Trump would probably, because so much evidence has come out, he's, he's looked at it, that I think he would definitely question whether or not they conducted this audit with integrity. Whether he will concede, to be quite honest, I don't think he will concede. I think he's completely convinced All right. that there was an we're, we're out of time, Christine. Thank you for your time today. Christine Niles from Church Militant, churchmilitant.com. God bless you. God love you. And have a great day. And for all of us here at Catholic Drive Time, thanks for being a part of the program. If you can join us in the next hour, we'd love to have you. We'll have our trivia game show. Prizes are involved. More breaking news and stories. Plus, we'll have another guest segment with uh, uh, Eric Wells, or, or Kevin Wells, rather, about his work with children in South America. Don't go anywhere. More Catholic Drive Time is coming up next. God bless you, God love you, and have a great day. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. A friend of mine has been reading the Left Behind books. Is there really going to be a rapture like these books talk about? No. The rapture refers to a passage in 1 Thessalonians 4 where Christians are caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Many Christians believe, and the Left Behind books promote, that this being caught up to meet the Lord will occur before the Great Tribulation. Christians will simply vanish, meet Jesus somewhere in the air, and then return with Him to heaven to await the end of time. But notice, in verse 15, Paul says that we who are alive who are left shall be caught up. Those who are left get caught up to meet the Lord. The Left Behind books get their name from a passage in Luke 17 and one in Matthew 24, which compares the coming of the Lord to the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Matthew 24 puts it this way, As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married, and they did not know until the flood came and swept them all the way. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one is taken and one is left. Two women grinding at the mill, one is taken, one is left. One is taken, one is left. The rapture, right? Jesus takes the Christians, leaves behind non-Christians. Two problems with that interpretation. First, Jesus' coming is compared to the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Well, after the flood, who was left? Noah and his family. The good guys, the bad guys were taken. After Sodom and Gomorrah went up in smoke, who was left? Lot and his daughters, the good guys, the bad guys were taken. Second problem, 1 Thessalonians 4 says that those who are left get to meet Jesus in the air. The good guys are left behind to meet Jesus. 
In other words, you want to be left behind so that you can get caught up in the clouds to meet Jesus in the air and accompany him back to earth at his second and final coming. There will be no rapture like the one the left behind books talk about. That view is not scriptural. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. The Daily Mass is moving to the afternoon. Holy Mass has been a beloved component of our programming lineup for 20 years in the early morning time slot on the Guadalupe Radio Network. We are excited to announce that the 3 p.m. hour will become a holy hour, starting with the Divine Mercy Chaplet, followed by sacred music or spiritual reflections, and concluding with the Holy Mass at 3.30. The Holy Mass on the Guadalupe Radio Network, every weekday at 3.30 p.m. Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God, we ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic Drive Time. With Joe McLean and Emily Alcaraz. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise God. How is your day going? Has it started off okay? Are you already upset? I mean, frustrated? What is your life like? I'd love to know. Uh, you can always hang out with us on the live video feed over at facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. We're also on YouTube as well. YouTube.com forward slash GRN online on Twitter and Instagram. I think I'm posting over on Parlor. So plenty of ways to hang out with Catholic Drive Time and we would love to have you. Today on the hour... We're going to uh, have a great conversation with Kevin Wells. He's got a book out from Sophie Institute Press about the priests we need, but it's also his work with villages, uh, World Villages for Children that we're going to talk about later in the show today. Plus, we'll have breaking news and stories. We have the Saint of the Day, Gospel Day, plus our game show is coming up. And uh, the way to get in on that, and it's the most mega prize ever so far in Catholic Drive Time history uh, so if you want to get in on that opportunity, here's the phone number. I'm going to give it to you. You can write it down. You can call. The first caller gets to be the contestant at 877-757-9424. Don't call right now. Not yet. It's not ready, but uh, pretty soon and here in just a few minutes at 877-757-9424. Good morning, Emily. Good morning, Joe. How are you doing today? Praise God I'm alive. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday to you. Yep. And as we we're talking about today, we honor our guardian angels who are probably working overtime in this studio trying to make everything <laughs> run smoothly. Uh, yeah, my poor guardian angel. Do you have a conversation with your guardian angel? I actually, yeah. So ever since I learned that Padre Pio was very close, and after I learned how many favors Padre Pio's guardian angel did for him is when I started to grow closer to my own guardian angel. You're like, angel. we're missing out on this. Yeah. 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 Untapped it, resources there. I got to be honest, though, uh, not to go in too deep of a rabbit hole here, but it's a little hard. You know, I know you're not supposed to name your guardian angel. Mm. You're not supposed to do that uh, because they're not pets, right? Right. We know they don't belong to us. Uh, uh, but at the... Uh, you can't, it's, I had, there's a disconnect there. So I have to foster that relationship. I pray the guardian angel pray every day, but I, I need more. I need to do more. Adrian, how are you on your guardian angel? Good morning to you, by the way. Good morning. Yeah. Um, I actually, one thing that I do that surprisingly works is I will pray to my guardian angel and ask him to wake me up in the morning. Uh, sometimes, uh, and then they, without fail, I would, I'll wake up at the right time whenever I ask my guardian angel to wake me up. But I don't always do that because 
I sometimes I want to sleep in. <laughs> <laughs> well, praise be to Jesus. Uh, we have uh, we have the breaking news and headlines, but first, let's pray. Whatever your intentions are, whatever you're facing, whatever you need, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for all of your needs and your family's intentions. I'm praying for my own family and for our needs. I'm praying for the uh, apostle, radio apostle here at the Guadalupe Radio Network, our team here, our equipment, and of course, uh, peace in our country today and this week. Uh, peaceful re- resolution to all of our conflicts and divisions. Uh, May the peace of Christ be upon us. But let's pray and ask Our Lady to whisper these intentions into the ear of her Son, that he may draw us ever so more closely into his most sacred heart. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. And now the headlines with Emily Alcarez. Nancy Pelosi is attempting to ban gender terms from Congress. The House Speaker, along with the Rules Committee Chairman James McGovern, unveiled the rules for the 117th Congress on Friday, which contain future-focused proposals, including the elimination of gendered terms such as father, mother, son, and daughter. Within the proposals are the creation of the Select Committee on Economic Disparity and Fairness in Growth, which would require Congress to honor all gender identities by changing pronouns and familial relationships in the House rules to be gender neutral. Nancy Pelosi continues to describe herself with the gendered term grandmother in her Twitter profile. Two people were arrested in Canada after a neighbor called the police on their party. A viral video shows Canadian police raiding the New Year's gathering of six people. The police issued a statement on Twitter regarding the December 31st incident claiming that the residents refused to cooperate and attacked one of the cops. In Gatineau, Quebec, indoor and outdoor private gatherings are currently prohibited until January 10th. All six people at the party were issued fines for violating the COVID-19 regulations. The fines will cost each person $1,546. The Polish government has intervened on behalf of one of its citizens in a vegetative state in the UK. After water and nutrition were withheld from the Polish patient on Christmas Eve, Poland's Minister of Foreign Affairs wrote an official letter to the UK's Foreign Secretary asking for urgent help and intervention in order to get food and water back to the patient so he would not starve and dehydrate to death. The patient, known only as RS, resumed nutrition and hydration on December 28th. He is able to breathe on his own. A UK judge rejected an application by the patient's family and the Republic of Poland that RS be airlifted to Poland and be treated there. The judge decided that it is not in the patient's best interest to be kept alive through medical intervention. Over one million Trump supporters are meeting in DC this weekend to support election integrity. Both houses of Congress will convene on Wednesday to decide whether or not to certify the results of the electoral vote in December. Conservative groups had planned several rallies which have now merged into a larger event called the March to Save America. Dozens of Republican members of the next Congress, including Alabama Representative Mo Brooks, have committed to contesting the electoral votes of certain swing states. 
At least four of them are slated to speak at the march later today. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Tuesday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. St. John Neumann, pray for us. Uh, you get extra points if you know how to pronounce his middle name, by the way. I certainly don't. His father was German. His mother was Czech. He was born in Bohemia on March 28, 1811. Uh, given over to, uh, you know, piety and felt a call to the religious life very young. He entered seminary and uh, studied theology at the uh, Charles. Ferdinand University in Prague, and he was ready to be ordained when his bishop became sick. Well, his ordination was never rescheduled, and it really distressed him. Turns out they had uh, too many priests in Bohemia at the time. Yeah, I don't think we can relate to that either. He was forced to make a tough decision. He walked to France, caught a boat to America, and showed up unannounced on the doorstep of Bishop John Dubois in Manhattan in 1836, who was glad to see him, actually, because at the time, there was only 36 priests to care for 200,000 Catholics in both New York and New Jersey. So he happily ordained him on 28 June 1836, sending him to Buffalo. Now, when he got there, he had a choice. He could stay in town, or he could choose the more rural country parts of uh, Buffalo. He chose the latter. He chose to go to the country. The first church he moved into was an unfinished building to which he set to the task of finishing it. And once he did, he immediately moved to a, a log church and built himself a log cabin. Rarely lit fires in Buffalo, New York. Could you imagine? Didn't eat all that much bread and water mostly. Didn't sleep all that often would spend most of his time walking from farm to farm to farm, meeting the people, caring for their needs. Now, uh, he spoke 12 languages, which really made it uh, beneficial to him because there were so many immigrants in this area at the time. In 1840, he would join the Redemptorists in Pittsburgh, in uh, Pennsylvania, and he would be among the first in America to do so. His home missioner would be Maryland, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. In 1844, he became the rector of St. Philomena Church in Pittsburgh. In 1847, he became the vice regent and superior of the Redemptorists in America. And in 1852, he became the bishop of Pennsylvania. Now, he built more than 50 churches. He opened more than 100 schools. He would increase the student population from 500 to 9,000 in his time as bishop. He wrote many articles. He wrote two catechisms and many works in German as well. He was the first American man and first American bishop to be canonized in the United States on 1977 by Pope Paul VI. Bishop John Neumann, pray for us. The gospel comes to us from Mark chapter 6, verses 34 through 44. When Jesus saw the vast crowd, his heart was moved with pity for them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. By now it was already late, and his disciples approached him and said, this is a deserted place, and it is already very late. Dismiss them so that they can go to the surrounding farms and villages and buy themselves something to eat. He said to them in reply, Give them some food yourselves. But they said to him, Are we to buy two hundred days' wages worth of food and give it to them to eat? He asked, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. 
So he gave them orders to have them sit down in groups on the green grass. The people took their places in rows of hundreds and by fifties. Then, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he said to them the blessing. He said the blessing broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up the twelve wicker baskets full of fragments. And what was left of the fish? Those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. The Gospel of the Lord. Wow, I I struggled there to get through that at the very end. I'm not sure what was going on, but uh, the brain stopped working for a minute there. Uh, Praise be to Jesus Christ. I like the the seeds here, the seeds from the Old Testament. You see a reference to Elijah in 2 Kings 4. You see the references to the uh, the manna in the wilderness with Moses and the people. You also see uh, a foreshadowing of something greater to come still that you would read in this very book, Mark chapter 14, where Jesus in the upper room uses the same formula of of taking blessing, breaking, and giving. But notice he gives it to the disciples. It is the disciples who distribute the food, which is also a beautiful reference to King David uh, in his kingdom, how it was set up with 12 ministers who had the task of feeding the kingdom, feeding the court, uh, you know, each taking their own month. And so there's this beautiful uh, typology going from the Old Testament to something that is ultimately the most beautiful and the most grand. And that is the Holy Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ uh, poured out for us as food on our journey to the heavenly kingdom. Adrian, what say you? Yeah, so I think the one thing that I found really, really interesting was, uh, well, two things. One, does anybody know why... Uh, they the gospel writers decided to include the green grass. The green grass. Uh, that was, like, was interesting like, detail. Why would they mention the fact that the grass was green? Like, don't yeah. we assume that? That's an interesting point. I didn't I didn't look that up. But what I did look up was uh, why is it that it was five loaves and two fishes? Right. Well, the the two fish, according to Saint Thomas, symbolized the fact that the fishermen. Uh, they, they gave um, the two things. They gave two discourses, uh, the Gospels and the letters, so the epistles and the Gospels. And those are the things that the fishermen gave to the community. And the five loaves symbolize the five books of Moses. And so you have these this uh, the, the food of life that's given to the people. So you have, because uh, our Lord says what? A man does not live on bread alone, but by the word that comes forth from the mouth of, mouth of God. Amen. And so it's very important to have both the Gospel and the epistles, but also the Old Testament. Uh, so we have it together. We're not Marcians who uh, reject the Old Testament. So that's a word. We're just we're not Marcians. No, absolutely not. Say that today. You probably haven't said that in a while. I am not a Marcian. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, real quick before we go to break, we have a game show. Uh, we call it the Fear and Trembling. It's a trivia game show. It's a sneaky little way to teach the faith. Have a little laugh in the process, as well as uh, give out some incredible prizes. And to this week's prize is mega. It's huge. It's uh, it's bigly as uh, as Trump would might say, um, and the phone number if you want to call and be a contestant is eight seven 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 five seven nine four two four. First caller gets to be the contestant, uh, and that's coming up right after the break. But I wanted to mention on January the eighteenth, we are going to begin airing uh, a mass at seven thirty. 
So just I want to make a note of that. On January the 18th, uh, Catholic Drive Time will stop at 7.30 across the Guadalupe Radio Network and beyond. And uh, we'll take up the last half hour of our program just on our social media feeds starting on January the 18th. So 7.30, there's going to be a mass, a daily mass said uh, starting uh, January 18th at 7.30 a.m. Hope you'll take a, a make a note of that. But coming up after the break is going to be not only the Catholic Trivia Game Show, we're going to have Fear and Trembling and an incredible prize. Uh, 877-757-9424 is the number for that. But Kevin Wells is going to be on the program later in the hour. And we're going to talk to him about his book at Sophia Institute Press, uh, The Priests We Need, and also his work at World Villages for Children. It's going to be a very inspiring story. I'm looking forward to that conversation with Kevin Wells all today on Catholic Drive Time. And uh, so much more. I think this week we're going to have some great guests. I'm really looking forward to some. We're going to be uh, catching up on pro-life news tomorrow. And then uh, I think we'll also have more election updates as the week goes on, because it's kind of huge news, right? I mean, uh, the election news is overwhelming most people today. So we'll keep you informed and updated on that as the week goes by. But don't forget, the Trivia Game Show is next. We're looking for our contestants, so call right now, 877-757-9424. First caller gets to be that contestant at 877-757-9424. Don't go anywhere. The Trivia Game Show is coming up next right here on Catholic Drive Time. We all know children have a natural innocence and a sense of wonder. Yet our world is full of distractions that can pull families in the wrong direction. But with the help of God and a church family, your children can grow in the security of faith, hope, and love. Weekly Mass provides that critical faith foundation needed in life. So if your family hasn't been to Mass in a while... We'd like to invite you home. Discover more at catholicscomehome.org. Protestants like to use James 2, 10 through 11 against the Catholic doctrine of mortal and venial sin because James says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. But James can't be denying the doctrine of mortal and venial sin because in 1.15 he affirms it, saying that sin in its beginning stages doesn't bring death, venial sin, whereas it does in its more mature stages, mortal sin. The point James is making in James 2.10-11 is that we must keep all the commandments in order to avoid incurring the guilt of transgressing the law. We can't say to the Lord on Judgment Day, Lord, I only broke one commandment but kept the other nine. So James 2.10-11 is simply a misfire in trying to take down the Catholic belief of mortal and venial sin. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. For 2,000 years, we've helped the poor and comforted the sick. We've educated generations of children, developed the scientific method and college system. We support marriage and human life. Guided by the Holy Spirit, we compiled the Bible. We are the Catholic Church. With over one billion in our family, sharing in the fullness of Christian faith in the church started by Jesus. If you've been away, visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome home. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. The Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation 
by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host, Joe McClain. 877-757-9424. No calls on. So great opportunity. If you want to get in on an incredible prize pack this week, it's the biggest value we've ever had for a, a, a sponsored gift of the trivia game show so far. Uh, you can just call right now. You'll be the, If you're the first caller, you get to be the contestant. It's super easy at 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. Now, this is how it works. Okay, so it's super easy. All you got to do is uh, get three questions. You get three questions, three opportunities. It's that easy. Now, um, I have three questions. I don't even ask the caller. Instead, I ask Emily. I ask Adrian. One of them will have a right answer. The other one will have uh, a wrong answer. And the caller will just have 15 seconds and they can choose Emily or Adrian. It's a 50 50 shot. They don't even need to know the answers, but every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence. And uh, we have a big prize this week, Emily. <laughs> Emily, tell so, them what they could win, Emily. There it is. That's what I was we waiting, were waiting for. for the sound effect. It just wasn't coming. <laughs> I love the sound effects. Sorry. So, our sponsor for this week is called The Little Catholic Box. You can find them at thelittlecatholicbox.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So, you've heard of subscription boxes. Catholic, The Little Catholic Box is a subscription box for Catholic vendors. So, the box that they are giving away this week is called the Prayer Space Box, and it's valued at $149. So this is six prizes in one. It's got a rosary in it, an icon, a chrism-scented candle, a sacred heart bowl, a Marian print, and a holy water bottle. So these are all from different Catholic vendors, and the Little Catholic Box has compiled them into a Prayer Space Box for you to create a holy sacred sp- space in your own home. Wow. That is impressive. What's the website again? TheLittleCatholicBox.com. And, of course, they're also on Instagram and Twitter. And if you follow the Catholic Drive Time pages, we've been sharing their posts and photos of the prize. So if you want to see it, go check us out or go check them out. All right. Well, praise God. Uh, TheLittleCatholicBox.com. What's the value of the of the package? Again, this is $149. We're giving it away for free, although they are also having a sale on their website that uh, takes off about $10. That's impressive. But if you want it for free, you can call in this week. <laughs> essentially $150 prize we're giving away this week. That's right. That's big. That's huge. The mega prize. LittleCatholicBox.com. Thank you for your generous gift and underwriting our our uh, game show this week. We're so very grateful to you. All right, so let's go to the calls and see who our contestant is. Uh, Myrna, is that you, Myrna, calling in this morning? Yes. Did I say your name correctly? Is it Myrna? Yes. Well, praise yeah, be to Jesus. Correct. Where are you from, Myrna? Okay. Um, I, uh, I'm from Guatemala. I live in Arlington. Arlington. Texas. How wonderful. Yes. Praise God. And, yes, uh, and are you, you're obviously our first-time caller to our game show, so we're very grateful that you've uh, called in this morning, Myrna. Uh, so far, 2021, has it lived up to your expectations? Uh, 
Well, it's been okay. I have some family members that are sick, but oh. I guess that's how it's going to be this year. Well, we're going to be praying for your family members for sure. We pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet at the 3 o'clock hour every day. We'll include them in our intentions. And, of course, we pray before every show, and we'll obviously include your family members in our intentions tomorrow morning for that as well. But, Myrna, do you understand how the game is Thank played? You. Yes. All right. Are, so you're ready to go then? I'm ready to go. I have been listening every morning. Praise be to Jesus, hey, Myrna. We're you. glad you're part of the Catholic Drive Time family. Okay, so three questions, three opportunities to win the big prize this week. Emily, are you ready? Yep, I'm ready to go. You Are you sure? Absolutely. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. This is a good question. I think it's a, a teachable moment for the rest of us. Believing in fortune-telling is prohibited by which commandment? So this is a good one. Fortune telling. We might throw in horoscopes and other palm reading, things like that. Uh, uh, cards. Astrology. Yeah. So all of the occult-like stuff can be tossed into this. Believing in fortune telling is prohibited by which commandment? Okay. Well, Joe, you'd be surprised how many Catholics don't know that horoscopes and things like that are actually prohibited by the first commandment, which really? is, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other false gods before me. So your answer is the first. The first commandment, yes. All right, let's go to Adrian. Adrian Fonseca, believing in fortune-telling is prohibited by which commandment? By which commandment? Yes, so the... I am going to go with the fourth commandment, honor thy father and mother. So I think it's an issue of piety. You think it's an an issue issue of piety. piety. There you go. All right. Adrian is on the board for the fourth. Emily is on the board for the first. 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Myrna, what say you? Emily. Survey says? Congratulations, Way to go, Myrna. Myrna. Congratulations. You're already in the coffee cup of divine providence, and uh, we're very excited about that. You have two more opportunities, though. Are are you ready to go? Yes, I'm I'm waiting. You are waiting. (laughs) All right. So are we. Let's go. I like it. Chop at the bit. Let's get after it. Here we go. Adrian, this one's towards you. Okay, here we go. What is the name given to the feast of the purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary celebrated in February? Um, the celebrated in February. Well, the I'm gonna go with Candlemas because that's that's the uh, the big feast day in uh, in February. So I'm gonna go with Candlemas. Candlemas. All right, Candlemas Day. All right, uh, Emily. What is the name given to the feast of the purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary celebrated in February? This is a tough one. Uh, I'm gonna go with. The Feast of Our Lady of Grace. The Feast of Our Lady of yes. Grace. All right. Sounds reasonable. Uh, Emily's on the board for the Feast of Our Lady of Grace. And Adrian is on the board for Candlemas or Candlemas Day. 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Myrna, what say you? That one is difficult, but I, I think I'll go with Emily again. You're, you're on the board for Emily. And survey says... I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. The correct answer is, in fact, Adrian with Candlemas Day. And he does not get many answers correct. Uh, By design, we don't let him have too many right answers. So we got to throw him a bone on occasion. So, But you have one more shot, Imerna. You get another opportunity here. Uh, Now, this one, I think, is going to be a bit tricky, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, Back to you, Emily. Are, Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, here we go. What treaty was made in 1122 
between Pope Calixtus II and Emperor Henry V, ending lay investiture. <laughs> you, you do remember your history lessons, right? Oh, yeah. Myrna Every is counting detail. on you, Emily. Myrna. Okay, so you said it was a council. Okay, it's, okay, I'll repeat. What treaty was made in the year 1122 between Pope Calixtus II and Emperor Henry V, ending lay investiture? I don't even know. Who, okay, well, I'm going to go with the Treaty of Pope Calixtus. <laughs> the Treaty of, of Pope Calixtus. Yes. As, are you sure? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, Adrian, Adrian, uh, what treaty was made in the year 1122 between Pope Calixtus II and Emperor Henry V Ending lay investiture. I, I can't believe that Emily doesn't know this. I know. It's, it's obviously the concordant of obviously. worms. Obviously. Like, that's like, it's like, like super obvious. Like, <laughs> everybody knows that. The what? What did like, you say? The concordant of worms, or worms, depending on your pronunciation. We all learned that, of yeah. course. You remember? Back in... <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I must have missed that day. <laughs> I was absent on that day. All right, so I guess... Okay, Myrna's counting on us here. Okay, so Adrian is on the board for the concordat of worms... And what were you on the board again for, Emily? I think I said the Treaty of Calixtus. The Treaty of Calixtus. Uh, 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Myrna, what say you? Okay, I'll go with Adrian this time. <laughs> Survey says. Yay! Well Yay. done, Myrna. Okay. Well done to you, Myrna. You got two opportunities in the coffee cup of divine providence. And one more time on our sponsor, Emily. Our sponsor is thelittlecatholicbox.com. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Well, praise be to Thank Jesus you. Christ. Myrna, God bless you. God love you. Don't go anywhere. We're going to put you on hold so we get your information in case you are, in fact, the winner. We'll draw the winner out on Friday after the bottom of the hour break. And uh, hopefully, maybe it'll be your name. God willing. God love you. And uh, thank you for being a okay. part of our program today. Thanks for listening, Myrna. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Go on, we're going to put you on hold there, Myrna. All right. Don't go anywhere. We have more breaking news and stories after the break with Emily Alcarez. Plus, Kevin Wells will be our guest coming up in the guest segment. He works with World Villages for Children, and he's got a book out with Sophia, and I think he's got a book coming out with Ignatius. He'll give us the lowdown on all of that coming up. More Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired is on the way. Don't go anywhere. Atheists claim theists are essentially no different than atheists because we reject gods too, such as Greek and Roman gods. But this is plain absurdity. What's our reason? First, it's an abuse of language. A theist believes in at least one god. An atheist doesn't believe in any god. They're mutually exclusive terms. To say a theist is an atheist to most gods is like saying a married man is a bachelor to most women. Second, it's bad reasoning. To say I'm an atheist because I reject some gods is like saying I'm an anarchist, one who rejects all forms of government because I reject communism and fascism, some forms of government. But that's silly. So the claim that atheists and theists are no different doesn't hold water. I'm Carlo Brusard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Father John Bartunik 
in his book, The Better Part, wrote, Gratitude is one of the most beautiful flowers in the whole garden of virtues. It directly contradicts self-centeredness, self-indulgence, and self-absorption. It builds bridges, unites communities, and softens hearts. It encourages and inspires. It cuts through discouragement and counteracts depression. It opens the soul to the truth and releases anxiety. It brings smiles and gladness wherever it blooms. What a pity that it is as rare as it is lovely. When was the last time you were truly grateful to our Lord for the spouse He has given to you? When was the last time that you told your spouse you are very grateful for him or her? Gratitude goes a long way in healing wounds. Give it a try. Go home today and tell your spouse how grateful to God you are that he or she married you. This has been a minute for your marriage and family from the Three Hearts Institute. You can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Good morning and welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. These are your Tuesday morning headlines. In America, it appears that COVID vaccines are not being produced or distributed fast enough. The U.S. government is considering giving some people half the dose of Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine in order to speed vaccinations, a federal official said on Sunday. The head of Operation Warp Speed, the federal vaccine program, said on CBS that giving half the dose or just the first vaccine induces an identical immune response to the full dose. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said it had administered over 4 million first doses of COVID-19 vaccines in the country as of Saturday morning. Vaccinations have fallen far short of early targets, as officials had hoped to have 20 million people vaccinated by the end of 2020. A Democrat is being criticized for concluding his opening prayer for the 117th Congress with the phrase, Amen and a women on Sunday. Representative Emanuel Cleaver, who is also a Methodist pastor, prayed to the God known by many names and faiths before concluding Amen and a women, appearing to ascribe gender to the traditional Judeo-Christian conclusion to prayer. The word Amen is derived from Hebrew and means truly or so be it and has nothing to do with gender. This comes after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi eliminated the use of all gendered language in Congress. Yet another lockdown is shutting down the United Kingdom. Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced on Monday that the new lockdown for England will last until at least mid-February in order to combat a fast-spreading new variant of the coronavirus. Britain has ramped up its vaccination program by becoming the first nation to start using the shot developed by Oxford University and drug maker AstraZeneca. Scotland has also banned all public worship for the second time during the COVID-19 crisis. The top Swiss bishop has said that he can very well imagine women standing at the altar. Bishop Felix Gamour, head of the Switzerland's Conference of Bishops, said in an interview, quote, Yes, I can very well imagine women standing at the altar. Women are already active in all church functions in which one does not have to be a priest. End quote. LifeSite News reported last July that women in the Diocese of Basel, Switzerland, are putting on vestments, standing at the altar, and praying the offertory, the preface, and the concluding prayer. Following the example of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was a man and who only ordained men to the priesthood, the Catholic Church has always reserved the priesthood for males. 
I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Tuesday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. Thank you, Emily, for reading the uh, the headline news uh, to us. Uh, remember, dear listener, if you want to get the podcast version of our show, you can just go to grnonline.com, grnonline.com forward slash cdt. This is a great place to get the audio podcast version. If you're looking for the video, a great place to go is facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time or GRN Online, or we also have a YouTube channel to search for at GRN Online there as well. Plus, we post to Twitter, Instagram, and I'm posting over on Parlor as well. So, lots of places to get connected to the content here on Catholic Drive Time. Joining us by Zoom right now is Kevin Wells. He works with the World Villages for Children. He's got a book out with Sophia Institute Press about the priests we need to save the church, and I think he's got a new project out with Ignatius, but uh, Kevin, good morning to you. Thanks for being a part of our program. Joe, it's awesome to be with you. Thanks for inviting me in. Yeah, praise be to Jesus. Now, you're in the Maryland area, is that correct? I am. I'm outside of Annapolis, not too far from D.C. So, it's what, 40 below there, 8 feet of snow. What's the weather like today? (laughs) Actually, it's kind of mild this winter. Like everything else, it's nuts. So, it's, uh, you know, I went for a walk this morning. It was like 45 degrees. It was pleasant. (laughs) It's nice. Yeah, praise God. It does get chilly there, though. I mean, by February, you're freezing pretty much. Yeah, without without question. So it's coming. Matter of fact, it's supposed to snow this weekend. It's coming. I like that. It's great. Yeah, it's coming. It's coming by a million plus rally person uh, there tomorrow. I think so. It's coming big. But yeah. at any rate, uh, let's talk about. Uh, let's start with the book first. It's uh, Sophia Institute Press, the priest we need to save the church. Uh, tell us about this book and what inspired you to write it. What what is the takeaway? The core message here. Well, you know, I was just listening to Emily's news report. It kind of speaks to the <laughs> to the heresy of modernism. Yeah. It's it's deplorable where we've allowed this unbridled <laughs> church uh to sort of it's out of the barn and and German bishops are saying one thing and over here in California a priest is doing this thing and it is it's it really is um it's in a certain sense it's an abomination because Christ spoke the church into Peter's ear 2,000 years ago. It's been handed forward as deposits of faith. We know it to be glorious and radiant. Mm. And it seemed, it seemed to me anyway, what led up to the book, to answer your question, Joe, is over and over and over again, I, I saw from behind the ambo, whether it was a contraception of truth, where priests just kind of masked the prophetic voice, um, you know, with, without the voice, there's no life in the void and there's death. And we've seen what's happened to the church. I think that too many bishops and priests I've seen, you know, my humble opinion, not to get on my microscopic soapbox here, <laughs> but, they've, but they've covered up the royalty of what Christ intended his Catholic church to be. So after a while, after seven, eight years of discernment, I said, you know what? I'm going to plead to priests and to bishops of what I thirst for. So I put it down in in book form. I liked that you started the book with the story of your uncle and, and how your uncle, you know, tried to be, a priest that served, a priest that poured himself out and uh, and tra- lost his life tragically to uh, a street person. Maybe you can give us the, uh, the, the elevator version of your uncle's story. Simple as this. Uh, he, uh, he is arguably uh, one of the strongest priests in the history of Washington, D.C., uh, because he was unafraid 
to use the prophetic voice. He was actually sort of a troubleshooter by the cardinal at the time. If a parish was suffering, they would move my uncle, Monsignor Wells, from parish to parish to parish. So he he just had made literally, literally thousands of friends, not because he was, uh, I mean, he was a very fun, nice guy, but because he was unafraid to show uh, to really oblige the burden of his identity to lead souls to heaven. So whereas a priest's identity is to save souls, he saved generations of souls. Mm, wow. Uh, and there was a strange situation where uh, someone came in and uh, brutally murdered him. Uh, you didn't really, you said there was really no conclusion to that. Was There was no reason why. There was no motive, right? No, actually, um, there is a motive, um, and it's what I did not include in the book. And Joe, we'll, we'll be candid here. Uh, one of the great problems we're having in the church today is the sin of priestly homosexuality and what's going on in rectories. And, mm. and uh, we know from from the former Cardinal McCarrick. So, three of the prior priests in his rectory, where he was moved to by the cardinal to stamp it out. Um, were homosexually active. Two have been removed from ministry. A third has disappeared. So a year so into sorry. my uncle being at this rectory, mm. he was murdered in the middle of the night. And and many priests in this diocese will tell you that one of the strongest priests in the history of D.C. is no longer alive, and it is due directly to what went on in that rectory. And I'll say this, Joe, when that kind of activity is going on in a rectory for 10, 15 years, it's essentially it's like throwing out Ouija boards. Uh, like they're Frisbees and saying, come on in, Satan, come on in this rectory. So yeah. my uncle goes in there, and now he's no longer alive. You know, and you said in the book about your uncle that he had stamped fear out of his life, except for fear of God, of course. And uh, and I saw that, I read that, and it struck me, you know, and I and I just, I put myself, and I paused myself when I read about the 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 him being murdered, and I thought, I wonder what it was like for him to face this stranger in his rectory in the middle of the night, and a man who had, you know, stamped fear out of his life. I can imagine that the that no matter what uh, anxieties might have been welling up within his chest, a certain resignation to Christ and a peace uh, must have uh, uh, prevailed over him. Um, I can't imagine a man who stamps fear out of his life living any other way. Yeah, you know, Joe, I've I, I thought about that not too often because it, it was a brutal murder scene, but I have thought that it was a crucifixion that he went through, but I do think he was, he was stabbed to death. Uh, up until the last, you know, thrust of the knife, I do think, and I actually, I'm not going to think, I know my uncle was forgiving his murderer. Yeah. Wow. Powerful stuff. Uh, you can get the book of uh, Sophia Institute Press. We're linking to it on our live video feeds, by the way, facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Times. Great place to find that. But if you go to Sophia Institute Press, you'll find it there as well. Kevin Wells is our guest. Um, now, you also work with an organization called uh, World Villages uh, for Children. Tell us about this. It's, it's an exceptional organization right now, today as we speak. More than 20,000 of the poorest of the poor are being taken care of in 17 different locations throughout the world. Um, they're Catholic boys' towns and girls' towns. Oh, wow. Oh, it's Joe, Joe, it's exceptional. It's it's true Catholicism, not what Emily just shared about the German bishops <laughs> and stuff. It is it, – it was founded – it was founded by Venerable Aloysius Schwartz, an American-born missionary priest mm. who I believed. So, Joe, I, I read 
I read several book biographies on uh, the, our greatest priest saints uh, to, to lead up to the book I wrote on, on the priest we need to save the church. So I read about John Newman, who we were just speaking of. I read Philip Neary. I read Maximilian Colby. I've, I've read Padre Pio, John Vianney. I'm going to say this. Venerable Aloysius Schwartz, who prayed not to be known, he was like Mother Teresa, what he did for in 1957 in Korea, what he started to do for these orphans whose parents had died in the Korean War and went to the Philippines and to Mexico and throughout the world for these kids is flabbergasting and has never been done in the history of the church. And he did not want to be known. And I broke the seal by writing his biography, <laughs> which Ignatius is going to put out in the spring. But but I contend, and I've been down there in Mexico, and I've seen what goes on with these children, 3,000 in Chalco, Mexico, girls in Guadalajara, wow. Mexico, 2,000 boys. It is it is pure, beautiful Catholicism where they send these kids back out to their poor communities as missionaries to not only rebuild their communities for what they learned in school, but to rebuild their communities for the Catholic faith. Wow. I'm looking on the website right now, worldvillages.org, and uh, you've got locations in Brazil, Guatemala, Honduras, Mexico, the Philippines, South Korea, and Tanzania. So it's pretty cool to see the, to look at the math version of this, and you see all the little red pins there at worldvillages.org. How did you get involved in this organization to begin with? Ha! Well, I so I wrote the book, The Priest We Need to Save the Church, and a good gentleman, Tom, Tom Sullivan and his wife, Glory, said, we know who the priest we need to save the church is. His name is Venerable Aloysius Schwartz. We want you to write his biography. It's never been written. There's been attempts, but it's not worked. We would like you to write about him. So they said, you know what? We're going to hire you to write the book and to handle our marketing and public relations, et cetera. So I, I started to read about, I didn't know if I wanted to join the organization, but I started to read about this priest mm. who's from my hometown. He's from DC. And I said, this guy, this guy, and I, and Joe, I say this, I know it sounds scandalous and heretical, but I believe what he did is as powerful, if not more so than mother Teresa. Wow. It is wow. it is remarkable what he did because what he did was this, Joe. What he what he did was this, where Mother Teresa sort of gathered up the dying man on the street in the gutters and said, "I will allow you to die with dignity. I will love you to the end." Father Al said, I, he looked at the child on the ground at nine years old who has been ignored by everyone and dying in the streets and says, "I will take you in, and I will make sure that you are not that man that Mother yeah. Teresa comes up." Uh, picks up. You are the man that will rebuild the world as an engineer, an architect, an orchestral musician. I will make you, I will make you a priest of whatever. I will take care of you and build you. So he, he built these humble kingdoms, these orphanages throughout the world. And now these, these very orphans today, even today are today's future priests and future nuns. Wow. I mean, I'm sorry for Father Al, but I'm really glad to hear about that. I think right now, especially, we need edifying stories of priests who are heroic. Um, and Kevin, what did Father Aloysius and your uncle have in common? What is it that makes these priests lead selfless lives? That's a great question. So, so well, they're both from D.C. We'll start from that. <laughs> uh, but, but I'll say this. Uh, I, that's a great question, Emily. I, I think what they had in common was they had a self-amputation of their will. 
they knew that they could not be comfortable because if they were comfortable, they couldn't do the magnitude of the work in saving souls. So essentially, Father Al lived in a shack for five years, wow. no heat, no water, no, no plumbing, where he died to himself. So he knew he could receive the graces to serve these thousands of orphans. Tom Wells, my uncle, Monsignor Wells, he was one that said, okay, uh, I came out of the birth canal with a guy who had zeal for the Lord, but I can't get comfortable. I can't, I can't sort of, um, you know, go to the Redskins game, go to the tailgate afterwards and have a steak dinner. I need to feed the flock. So he worked like Father Al. He worked 14, 16 hour days every day, heard countless confessions, did a daily holy hour, celebrated mass every single day of their lives, prayed the rosary every day because they, ha- they knew they had to receive to give. So I think that's it. Father Al and my uncle received so they could give. When did uh, Venerable Aloysius pass? He died too soon in 1992 from Lou Gehrig's disease. Wow. Um, if, if he, he died at the age of 62, if he had lived another 20 years, 30 years, he should still be alive. He should be, I think this year he should be 90 years old. Um, the whole world would know about him for what he's done. He, he really is. I'll say this, Emily and Joe, what he's doing is he's rebuilding, and I and I say this because I've been to Mexico, I've been to Guadalajara, I've seen what's taking place down there. He's rebuilding the Catholic Church throughout the world because these Sisters of Mary's nuns, there's 380 of them, the order that he founded, they are they are catechizing these kids with the true Catholic faith and sending them out after five years of education. I mean, these kids, some of these kids become professional soccer players. They work, they become executives at IBM. You know, they're, they're, they're big. They come out strong, not only intellectually, but spiritually. So they're rebuilding the Catholic Church. Can you give us a description of the actual villages themselves? You said there was boys' towns and girls' towns. You know, I went to a high school right across the street was a boys' town. And uh, for the longest time, I, I didn't know what that place was. Uh, so it's uh, give us – what are these places like? And uh, what, what are the, what's the quality of living? What's the – you know, just give us the, uh, the details of each of the – or just overall of the villages. Joe, great question. So Father Al knew – that these kids lived in trash piles, in garbage dumps, poorest of the poor, no food, nothing. That's where they came from. Mm. So he takes these kids in at the age of 12. The sisters take them in now. And they say, you will be treated with dignity, respect, and you'll be giving the things that a normal kid would have. So if you walk into one of these, you'll see soccer fields. You'll see basketball courts. You'll see swimming pools. You'll see wow. uh, uh, sort of these seven-story buildings where they both live and are educated. So it's it's actually they're kind of beautiful, nice flowers. The sisters love the flowers and the plants. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's kind of like a humble kingdom of Catholicism. It's not a Walt Disney World with glitz and glamour. It's kind of plain, but it's ordered. And I think that's what Father Al wanted. Everything has order and symmetry. And, and I think Father Al knew our world is disordered to a certain degree. He wanted kids to have order. And during this Christmas season, of course, we're reflecting on the humble lifestyle of the Holy Family. And I think that sounds like this really reflects that humility. Now, I also wanted to ask, Kevin, it's, it's all well and good for us, the lay people, to say we need holy priests. Priests do better. But I, I read the headlines every day and I report on stories where many priests now are taking their own lives because this is a difficult and lonely time for our priests. So what can we do to support our priests and foster vocations as well? 
That's a great question. So I, I think well, tonight I'm going to have dinner with two priests. So so that's one thing that we do is we, we, we invite them over to the house or we just or we, hey, Father, what do you need? What's not happening at your parish? Are you having problems getting people to park? Are you having problems with leading catechesis? What classes don't want? Give it to me. I, I, to give it. I, how can I help you? So we, we go straight to the heart of what Father needs, what Father wants. Obviously, every day, we, if we're not doing this, we're not in the game. We pray for our pastor. We pray for our associates. Now, I will say this, Emily. If we feel like, and I will encourage your listeners, if we feel like that our pastor is straightjacketing truth or they're being timid or reluctant, especially in this day and age, as I think bishops were and priests were, many of them, do, uh, for the six months up to the election, not speaking about one candidate's thoughts on abortion, gender, and sexuality, then we need to encourage priests candidly off to the side, Father, I see greatness in you. But I tell you what, you're not preaching truth. And and I see it in you. And I pray for you. You know I love you. But I'm encouraging you now. Until you display holiness for me, by your boldness, by your, by your prophetic voice, in a certain sense, I can't be that way in the world or in my family. So, Father, please lead me to holiness. So we encourage priests that way, too. You know, so I think this is a point that gets lost. We only have about six minutes, five minutes left in our conversation with Kevin Wells, but I think it's a valid point here to pause on just for a moment. Um, you know, it, we in a divided world, in a deeply divided church body, even uh, where everything is divided by politics rather than by faith. You know, um, I like the fact that we have this combination in you, Kevin. Uh, you know, uh, I want to to adhere to the teaching of the church, and all of that that means socially, economically, physically, spiritually, uh, all the rest. And then also, I want to go help orphans in foreign countries. You know, it's 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 usually we get accused of being one or the other, but no, it's both and. We right? I mean, we are to adhere to the faith and all of its implications, and then go and help help our neighbor. And uh, I love that combination of those two things, and we're seeing that in this organization, World Villages for Children. So I just wanted to highlight that for a moment. The other thing I want to say, four minutes on the clock, is it must not be. Uh, inexpensive to run so many beautiful locations around the world for these children. What? Uh, how are their finances managed? Wow. Well, no, it it, it takes it takes uh, really many millions of dollars every year because you're taking care of twenty two thousand children as we speak all over the world. So uh, it's it's due to to generous benefactors. It's due to do, to donors. Uh, it's due to you know what, Joe? It's I think more and more Catholics, and again, it's time to be candid, I think, in, in Catholicism, are realizing, you know what, should I keep giving money to the Cardinal's appeal or the Bishop's appeal? Mm. I don't know. I don't know. Mm. Maybe I should start looking to Catholic organizations that are building up the true Catholic Church. Oh, worldvillages.org? They have 380 sisters that work 16 hours a day that grind and grind and grind to build these kids up into saints, maybe I should start giving to them. And I'll say this, Joe, the most beautiful divine paradox takes place at all these boys' towns and girls' towns. These sisters know that these kids come in having many of them plowing fields at the age of eight or nine with no meal on the table at night, or many kids were physically, emotionally, sexually abused. Mm. They come in staggering with wounds. And these sisters say, 
it's almost like these sisters greet these kids like a mother like a mother does his son coming home from war. They grab hold and say, I will I will take your cross until it's gone. So it's a divine paradox where the kid's cross is taken off their shoulder and the sister takes it and says, now you live and I will lead you to the heart of Jesus Christ and the Catholic faith and I will show you the joy that you did not have. So, so I am here for you in, in sort of as Jesus Christ was for the suffering, the lepers and the poor. That's what the sisters are doing. And I think that's what people that want to donate to a, a worthy organization would be wise to, uh, to donate to worldvillages.org because it, it truly is. Take my word for it. I've been there. <laughs> it is Catholic to the bone. It is Jesus Christ to the bone. And it is Marian. When you see the sisters, it is Marian. Yeah, we have about uh, two minutes on the clock, but I had a question for you, uh, two questions, really. One, how many vocations come from these communities uh, to religious life, priesthood, and that such thing? And second question being, uh, this sounds like what the Catholic culture used to be, where it's just you're forming good Catholic people to go out into the world, live in the secular world, but live it Catholic. Uh, could you speak on that, on those two things? Yeah, Adrian, you'll hear a wild statistic I'm about to give you, but it's true. 85% of the Sisters of Mary today are graduates of the programs, which means, wow. they say, wow. which means they say, I want to be what I experienced for five years. Praise yeah. God. So, so to answer your question, many, many, many sisters are come out of these programs. And a priest is there right now, Father Dan Leary, who is now going after priests. So there, so there are several priests, but he wants more and more priests. So the answer is uh, several, well, hundreds of sisters and priests are going into the world and joining vocations. Well, we've been talking with Kevin Wells about uh, his book at Sophia Institute Press, The Priests We Need to Save the Church, and his work at uh, World Villages uh, of, uh, is it Children? World Villa Let me get to the website, worldvillages.org. World Villages for Children is the, is the organization. Kevin, thanks for being on our program. And I think your book on uh, the Venerable Aloysius will come out in the spring with Ignatius Press. Is that true? That's right, Joe. All right, so we can look forward to that. And maybe we'll have you back when the book comes out. We'll follow up our conversation. Kevin Wells, God bless you. Thanks for being on the program today. Thank you, Joe. God bless you. All right, that's going to do it for Catholic Drive Time today, uh, keeping you informed and inspired. Don't forget to check out the podcast version of our website, uh, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. But you can find the videos of each of the interview segments and all the programming over on our YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com forward slash GRN online. And when you're there, watch several videos, give likes to all of them. That would super help. Tomorrow on the program, we'll have a pro-life news from uh, Mary Kate Knorr and much more to come, plus more Catholic trivia and all of the fun coming up tomorrow. Catholic Drive Time, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. We'll see you there. May God richly bless you. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed you, and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you.
in America, it appears that COVID vaccines. It's not what Emily just shared about the German bishops and stuff. It is. It, it was founded. It was founded by Venerable Aloysius Schwartz, an American-born missionary priest, who I believe. So, Joe, I I read. I read several book biographies on uh, the our greatest priest saints. Uh, Priests do better, but I I read the headlines every day and I report on stories where many priests now are taking their own lives because this is a difficult and lonely time for our priests. So what can we do to support? 